I was so pleased that John uh, read that scripture this morning um, about the Word of God being living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. And uh, it was a really nice version. Where was it from? Which version was that, John? The Amplified version, yeah. And I'd read that. I'd been thinking about that uh, passage this morning. And there's another passage that talks about uh, the things in the past have been written down as encouragements for us so that through uh, endurance and the encouragement of the word, we might have hope. And I just thought it's good to, you know, it's good to start a preach by reminding ourselves of that, that however uh, bad or good a job I do of treating the word of God this morning for you, actually the word of God in and of itself is powerful. And it's here to bring us encouragement and hope. And so that's what I pray will happen for us this morning as we uh, look at God's word. So let's pray together and ask him to speak. (coughs) Father, we thank you that we believe you have spoken to us already in worship. We thank you for the sense of your presence again with us. Uh, We thank you for being stirred, uh, that your spirit has been active with us this morning. Holy Spirit, we ask don't depart from us now. (laughs) Please stay with us in the room. Please stay with us in our hearts. Please say what you would have us learn today. Please speak and give us hearts that are soft towards you to respond to whatever it is you say. And Lord, I pray that you would speak and anything I say that's not right or relevant, Lord, it would just, the, the dross would be burned up. And what would be left would be these refined nuggets of gold that we find in your word. So Lord, speak to us, we pray. And uh, that we might grow in our most holy faith. We ask it in the name of your Son, the Lord Jesus. Amen. We are in the middle of our series in Genesis. And um, we had quite a long passage last week, which um, Owen got a number of people to read, which was great. My passage today is very, very short, but it's beautiful. I, I love the way that the poetry of the Bible sometimes can speak to you. And so we're going to read just a couple of verses, really, from Genesis chapter 2. So Genesis chapter 2, and it's going to be verses 1 through to verse 3. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. Isn't that beautiful? By the seventh day... God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. Don't you just love that first sentence? Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. It's beautiful. So today we're going to talk a little bit about rest and about Sabbath rest. Because actually that word rest, where it says that God rested, the root of that word in the Hebrew is the same root of the word Sabbath. And it literally means to cease And the fact that Sabbath has got two Bs in the middle of it apparently means really cease. 
So the word rest in, the, in, in that first verse there and the word Sabbath both come from the same root, and they mean to cease. God ceased from his work. God established rest as a creation principle. It was even a principle for himself. He didn't have to rest in the way that we do because he was tired, but he ceased from his work. There's another passage a little bit further on in Genesis that says that on the seventh day God rested and he was refreshed. And that word refreshed literally in the Hebrews means to take breath. It's as if at the end of creation, God just stopped, ceased, and took breath. Why did he do that? Because he wanted to enjoy what he had made. I don't know, do you ever do that type of thing if you're, uh, if you're walking and, you, I don't know, if you're at the beach or you're on a cliff or you're up a mountain or you're somewhere beautiful, there's a fantastic sunset. You know, even yesterday... Uh, looking towards Crystal Palace, which isn't the most beautiful s- scene, I have to say, but looking towards Crystal Palace last night about six o'clock from Catford, <laughs> which is even less beautiful, <laughs> there was this amazing sunset. Amazing. And I don't know about you, but when you see that sort of thing, sometimes it just causes you to you take a breath. God established rest because he wanted to take a breath and enjoy what he had made. And do you know what he had made the day before he took a breath? He'd made us. He'd made, he'd made humanity. He took a breath. He ceased from his labors. He looked at what he'd made. <sighs> Wonderful. And then what did he do after that? Well, it says that after he, had, after he had rested, he blessed the day. Do you know what? It was so good, he thought, let's, let's make this mandatory. Let's draw the whole of creation into this idea of rest. It's fantastic. He blessed the day, and he made it holy, set apart, cut off from the rest of the week. This day is blessed, set apart, holy. It's a day to take a breath. God established this principle of rest. It's a creation principle. And if you think about the rest of the story that we've already read about creation, where it talks about God doing things like setting boundaries for the sea so that it couldn't sweep over the land, and boundaries for the heaven and the earth and the stars... God is a boundary-setting God, actually. He sets boundaries. And we are wise if we take note of those boundaries and don't overstep them ourselves. How are you with setting boundaries, I wonder? How are you at setting boundaries for yourself? What do you like at setting boundaries about work and rest? Are you clear about when work finishes and when rest begins? Do you know, uh, sometimes um, in my career, if you're a teacher, you can spend every waking hour working if you want. It's one of those jobs where you can constantly be improving. You can be doing more lesson plans, better lesson plans, 
you can be finding more PowerPoints from the internet to present the lesson even more fantastically. You can literally spend hours and hours. And uh, for many years, when I first started teaching, I wasn't good at boundary setting at all. And uh, it would slip into the weekend. It would sometimes slip into both days of the weekend. It would sometimes be an excuse not to go to church because I had too much work to do. And I wasn't good at boundary setting at all when I, when I first started teaching. Now these days, I make sure that there is at least one day of the week when I don't touch anything to do with work. It's a creation principle. It's God's principle that we should have one day in the week where we cease from what we do and we consider. You see, it's very easy to just carry on with the same old, same old, same old and actually never to stop and consider. The world stops and considers very, at very few points. I'll tell you a time when the world stops and considers very briefly. Funerals. At a funeral, the world will stop for a moment and consider. But it's a very, very short period of time. I remember talking to someone whose father had just died. And we had this brief moment of conversation. Not Christian, but he said, it's, it just, it just make, makes you think, doesn't it? What's it all about? And I was just about ready to get in there. And he said, but, you know, it's one of those things, isn't it? He was off. That was it. Gosh, gosh. There was like this brief moment when he had considered the whole of his life in relation to eternity. But it was so short, that moment. And he'd moved on in a moment. But actually, God ordained a day every week when he wanted people to cease from their labours and to consider and to contemplate. Are you good at doing that? Do you stop and consider your life in relation to eternity, in relation to what we know of the gospel? It's a really good principle. It's a creation principle. And if we don't set that boundary ourselves, then... We're in danger. We're always in danger when we upset the created order of things. It's asking for trouble. So rest is a godly principle. God also established that the Sabbath, the rest, the day of rest, would also be a day that he would provide for. So even before... Uh, the, the Ten Commandments, it was clearly a pattern in the life of Israel that they had a Sabbath rest. Now, at that stage, the Ten Commandments hadn't come. It hadn't been a command from God. But clearly, there had been this principle of stopping on the Sabbath. And we see it a little bit later on uh, in the book of Exodus, where the people of Israel are, are in the desert, and God is talking about providing the daily manna. And he says this, to the people through Moses. He says, bear in mind the Lord has given you the Sabbath. This is why on the sixth day he gives you bread for two days. God established that the Sabbath would be a day that he would provide for. In fact, the Sabbath is another opportunity for us to realize how utterly dependent we are upon him. It's another reason why stopping and considering 
and resting and ceasing from our daily work is really important because it actually reminds us who we're really dependent on. Otherwise, what, what we can do is we can think that, that actually it's my labours, nine to five, that put the food on the plate in front of me and clothe me and put a roof over my head. And actually the Sabbath, when I stop, I'm reminded that actually this is God's provision for me. God provides all these things for me. This is about his provision. It's not me. All I get is what he's giving. And so the Sabbath was a real reminder. God wanted to remind the people of Israel that the Sabbath was a time when he would provide. You're not to go out and collect on the, on the Sabbath. I'll provide double. And actually, a little bit later in the Old Testament, in Leviticus, God talks about a seventh, every seventh year not, not planting anything and not harvesting anything. And it's really interesting. He talks about this in, in Leviticus chapter 25 or 26. And he starts off by talking about this fact that you're not to plant anything in the seventh year and you're to leave your ground fallow and whatever grows naturally, you're not allowed to pick that either. So he says, if your vines produce grapes, don't harvest them. And then he goes on to talk about lots of other things. And I can imagine the people of Israel thinking, well, flipping it, what are we going to have to eat then? And the whole chapter goes on until nearly at the end of the chapter, God says, oh, and if you were wondering about what you were going to eat, uh, in the sixth year, I'll provide double. And you can imagine, okay, thanks for that. Um, God provides. God provides and he expects us to trust him. The Sabbath is also a reminder that everything comes from him. And that actually all my efforts, Monday to Friday, unless he puts the food on my table, well, it's not going to arrive. I need to be utterly, completely, thoroughly dependent upon him. And the Sabbath was a way of reminding the people that that was the case. Bear in mind, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Did you hear that as well? The Lord has given you the Sabbath. It's a gift. The Sabbath is a gift. It's to do us good. It didn't become that for the people of Israel. Do you know that? In a minute, I'll, I'll read you some of the things that the Sabbath became. It didn't feel like a gift anymore. But God's intention always was that it was a gift. Rest, the Sabbath rest, was his gift to his people. It was a gift. I don't know if you've ever heard the story of uh, Eric Liddell. Lots of us will have done. So Eric Liddell is the guy from um, Chariots of Fire. Yeah, film Chariots of Fire, very old. I, re I remember it being made. But, um, but uh, yeah, it's a very old film. I guess it's from the 1970s, something like that now. And Eric Liddell was a Christian, and he was a runner. And he was uh, going to compete in the 1924 Olympics in Paris. And, but the heats were on a Sunday. And he felt really strongly about not running on a Sunday. And so he, he, he said, well, that's my fastest event. 
but do you know what? I'm, I'm not going to run. I'm not going to go into, into the heats. He was a, sh uh, a short distance runner, and so instead he entered for a middle distance run, the 400 metres, which wasn't his best event by a long shot, but that's what he trained for. And as he was, um, as he was coming up to the starting blocks um, for the 400 metres, because the heats for the 400 metres hadn't been on a Sunday, so he felt able to enter the heats for the 400 metres, one of the American team slipped a, a piece of paper into his hand and it said, those who honour me, I will honour. And you know the story that he then goes on to win the 400 metres against all odds, not being the favourite at all. And he then, after that, became a missionary, went to China, and uh, he died in a Japanese concentration camp in 1945, having sent his family home when the Japanese invaded, but he himself stayed. And uh, his last words, apparently, uh, before he died were, it's complete surrender. That's what my life is. It's complete surrender to God. And for him, the Sabbath was so important that he, he, wouldn't, he wouldn't run on it because he wanted to honour God. Now, there'll be different opinions about that these days. And some of us would think, well, that sounds a little bit legalistic. So how do we react and respond to that question about, about what we can do and can't do on the Sabbath? And are we still subject to the law where it says, uh, you know, remember the Sabbath, keep it holy, you're not to work, you're not to do this, you're not to do that. Uh, I thought we were free of the law. So how do we, how do we respond to that? Well, Paul in the book of Romans is really, really helpful on it. And he talks about two things. He talks about um, people who um, feel it's okay to eat meat and people who don't, and people who think that one day is more special than another. And how do you deal with it? Paul talks about it and calls it a disputable matter. He says, this is a disputable matter. What should you do? What should you do then? You think it's just one day special. You think they're all the same. What should you do? He says, the person who eats meat should eat it to the Lord. The person who doesn't eat meat should eat it to the Lord. The person who thinks that one day is special should hold that day special as an offering to the Lord. The person who thinks that every day is the same should hold every day as an offering to the Lord. But he says, but don't make your brother stumble over it. The advice that Paul gives about a disputable matter, like whether we should do this on a Sunday or that on a Sunday, or how we should view a Sunday, or how we should view what we eat and what we don't eat, and all of those sorts of things, his advice on it is, don't fall out over it. That loving your brother is more important. He says, don't do anything that will make your brother or your sister stumble. So if I know that somebody that I know, I don't know, it really holds Sunday as really special, then for me to make a big issue that I think it's fine to do whatever you like or to go to the shops, actually, if I do that and I make a big thing of that, I'm not acting out of love for my brother or my sister. Yeah? If somebody feels not eating meat is a really important thing for them and they do that as an offering to God and I go to their house with a McDonald's burger and, you know, to, just to prove my principle that I think eating meat's fine and, and the Bible seems to say it is, I'm not acting out of love for my brother and my sister. 
So actually, the whole question about what you do and what you don't do on a Sunday, and whether we agree about it or we don't agree about it, and what the Seventh-day Adventists might think about it, and da 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 it can become this massive red herring. And actually, at the bottom of it, what Paul says is, if you're not acting out of love, whatever you do makes not one jot of difference to God anyway. You need to act out of love for your brothers and sisters and not put anything in their way that's going to make them stumble. And then what you do yourself should be a matter of your conscience before God. And if you are able to say, Lord, this is my offering to you and my conscience feels fine about it and therefore I'm not going to do this on a Sunday, then do you know what? That's fine. And if your conscience is, do you know, every day I spend time with you, God, and I just feel you're with me every single day. I'm not sure I feel I need to keep one day special. But I won't do anything that's going to offend my brother and you feel that, well then, that's also fine. There would be one thing I would say, though, about that. And that's going back to the beginning, where it seems like a day of rest is in the creation order of things. It's very interesting. If you listen to what uh, Moses writes when he writes the Ten Commandments about the Sabbath, listen to this. He says this. So this is the commandment. Remember the Sabbath by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you should not do any work, neither you nor your son, your daughter, or your maidservant, or your manservant, or your animals, or the alien within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that's in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the seventh day and made it holy." It is by far the longest commandment. By far. Think about the others. Do not, thou shalt not murder, shalt not cover, shalt not commit adultery. And then there's a whole paragraph on the Sabbath. There must be something in it. There must be something in keeping a day holy to the Lord. Remember the Sabbath, keep it holy. The other thing is that God reminds the people constantly again and again and again. Do you know, he only reminds them once, you shall not murder. He reminds them again in Deuteronomy. He only reminds the people once, you shall not commit adultery. Deuteronomy. Keeping the Sabbath, he reminds them again and again and again. Remember the Sabbath. Remember the Sabbath. Remember to keep it holy. Remember the Sabbath. And as the story develops, his wording changes God says, remember my Sabbath. Remember my Sabbath. See, actually, this idea of a day of rest, of a Sabbath day, seems to be a two-way thing. It's not just about God giving us a gift. It's also about us offering something back to him. It's his Sabbath. He calls it my Sabbath. It was all about, you see, the people's identity. That's what the Sabbath rest was about. It was about God saying, do you remember? I'm yours and you're mine. It's the only group of people in the whole world who kept the Sabbath because you are my special, special, holy, separate people. You're mine and I'm yours. And we need a day together. Do you know what? We need a bit of quality time. You are to separate that day for me. It is my Sabbath. 
it also becomes a day of gathering. So in Leviticus, it says this. There are six days when you may work, but the seventh is a day of Sabbath rest, a day of sacred assembly. You are not to do any work wherever you live. It is a Sabbath to the Lord. It became a day of sacred assembly. There is a lovely picture in Isaiah of what the Sabbath can be like if you keep it right. And this is what God said through the prophet Isaiah to his people. If you keep your feet from breaking the Sabbath and from doing as you please on my holy day, if you call the Sabbath a delight and the Lord's holy day honourable, and if you honour it by not going your own way and not doing as you please or speaking idle words, then you will find joy in the Lord. And I will cause you to ride in triumph on the heights of the land and to feast on the inheritance of your father Jacob. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Isn't that a beautiful picture of what the Sabbath can be? You will find joy in the Lord. The Sabbath was to remind the people that they would only find their joy in the Lord. How are you doing with setting aside time that is holy to the Lord. It's really, really important. But what, because it's a law? Well, no, it isn't anymore, actually, because we're free of the law. But if God asks us to do something, it's because it's a good idea for us, too. And how are you doing with setting that time aside when he can say, can we have some time together? How are you doing with that? Jesus, when he came, he challenged what the Sabbath had become. Because what had happened was that after the, the books of the prophets had been written and finished, there was this period of time, we know, between the Old Testament and the New Testament where nothing happened and when, God, when nothing was written down. We don't get any record of what happened for a period of some centuries before the last book of the Old Testament was written and before Jesus comes. And in that intervening time rabbis began to attach all sorts of other conditions to the Sabbath. So here are the things that you couldn't do on the Sabbath, and in fact, in Orthodox Jewish families, you still can't do these things on the Sabbath. Sowing, ploughing, reaping, binding sheaves, threshing, winnowing, selecting, grinding, sifting, kneading, baking, shearing wool, washing wool, dyeing wool, beating wool, spinning, weaving, making two loops, Weaving two threads, separating two threads, tying, untying, sewing two stitches, tearing, trapping, slaughtering, flaying, sorting meat, curing hide, scraping hide, cutting hide up, writing two letters, erasing two letters, building, tearing a building down, this one's a particularly frightening one, extinguishing a fire, Boy. burn baby burn, um, kindling a fire, hitting with a hammer, Concentrate on this one. Taking an object from the private domain to the public or transporting an object in the public domain. I hope none of you have done that today. 
it became this massive, great weight on the people's shoulders. So suddenly the thing that was supposed to be the gift from God became a burden. And Jesus pulled it apart. Because you might remember that he was criticised by the Pharisees and his disciples were criticised for picking grains of corn on a Sunday. And what they were criticised for, the scholars think, is that they were probably trying to crush them. And so that's whatever that is. Reaping and... Reaping and what? And grinding. Reaping and grinding. Yeah, two things you're not allowed to do on, a, on the Sabbath according to the rabbinical list. And, and Jesus says... The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And he pulls all of that apart and reminds the people that actually the Sabbath was for rest and it was a gift from God. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And then Jesus proclaimed himself Lord of the Sabbath. See, the, the Sabbath also points towards something much, much bigger. It points towards something much more significant than just having a day off a week. It points towards the rest that Jesus was going to bring. One commentator says this, the Sabbath points to Christ and to the rest he gives from the impossible task of earning salvation by good works. He points to, it points to Christ and the rest that he gives from the impossible task of earning salvation by good works. That's why Jesus says, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. And then later he says, come to me if you are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. I will, every day. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The Sabbath pointed towards the ultimate rest that Jesus was going to bring. The rest from the interminable labour of trying to win God's approval. The interminable labour of trying to keep the Ten Commandments and failing miserably. And he comes and he does it. He wins God's approval by perfectly keeping those commandments. And now he says, now you can enter into my rest. I'm the Lord of rest. I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. Remember that word Sabbath means to cease. I'm the Lord of ceasing. So you can cease now. You can stop. Do you know that? You can stop. You can stop trying to work your way into God's presence and into his approval. You can stop because I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. I've come to bring you rest. You can stop. You can come rest. The Sabbath pointed towards that, the ultimate rest that Jesus has brought us by perfectly fulfilling the law and means that we now can come and enjoy rest. We can cease. Do you know that? You can cease. If you feel like life's been an effort, if you feel like I still keep trying to. I still keep getting things wrong. Oh, if only I could do better for God than I am. Because I just, I just keep dropping the ball. I, I'll have another week next week of trying harder. I've come to church on Sunday and 
we've had a bit of worship and we've had a bit of provocation by the Spirit not to, not to leave this life without a legacy. So, okay, next week I'm going to try harder. And Jesus says, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. Cease. Cease. Stop your striving. Stop your working. Stop your effort. You can cease. You can rest. You can do it because you want to. You can do it because you love me. You don't have to do it anymore to try and win approval. You've got it. You've got his approval. It was hard won. It was won by nails. It was won by blood. It was won by sacrifice. It was won by total and utter rejection. So don't you dare take it for granted, but also don't leave it lying there. Jesus says he is Lord of the Sabbath, and he says to you, cease. Cease trying to earn your way into God's approval. I've already won that for you. Now what do I ask of you? Follow me. Love me. Follow me. Follow me because you want to. Follow me because you love me. Obey me. My yoke's easy. You do that, it's my yoke's easy. My burden's light. I'm lowly of heart. You'll find rest for your souls. That's what the Sabbath was pointing towards. Something so much bigger and greater than just having a day off a week. It was pointing towards him and what he's brought us. Do you know what he says to you this morning? He says, cease. If you've been making a lot of effort, do you think, oh, I've dropped the ball again? He says, cease. It's already won for you. Enter in to the rest of your Lord. This is what Matthew Henry says about the Sabbath. Matthew Henry is a commentator on the Bible. He lived in the 16th century. No, 18th century. 18th century. He says this. What should we aim at in our Sabbath work? Even the good of our own souls. That's what we should aim for. If the Sabbath was made for man, we should then ask ourselves at night, what am I the better for this Sabbath day? I found that quite provoking. To think at the end of my day of rest, do I say to the Lord, what am I better for today for having had a day of rest, a day that's holy to you? Have I just you know, gone through the motions? Have I made the most of it? Do you know there's a practical application here about rest? I'm really, I, f- I find it amazing sometimes when I talk to some of my really young colleagues in their 20s. And I'll say to them things like, so how are you, what are you doing at the weekend? And they'll say, oh, I'm just going to have some chillaxing time. Chillax. Look in the dictionary for that word. Don't you? 
one. And, um, <laughs> and yeah, I'm just going to chill. I probably won't get up. You know, I might get up about 12. And then, you know, and I'm just going to veg, really. And, and I think, oh, gosh. That doesn't sound like productive rest. Do you know, there is something about productive rest. And... And what I'm not saying is that when we live lives where we already have to set agendas all week, that now I'm saying you've got to set an agenda for your rest. You know, a five-point plan for my Sabbath rest to this week. But actually, do you know, there is something in using your rest time productively. I don't know if you've ever had days like this. I've, I've had lots of days like this, where you have a, a, a really valued day of rest coming up. You, you are living for it. And then you, te- you spend a bit of it in bed, and then you, you mess about, and you have a late breakfast, and, su- and suddenly it's gone. You think, oh, phew, gosh, it's gone. It's gone. What did, I, what did I get in that? What did I achieve? You actually don't feel rested by it. You feel frustrated. You feel a little bit frustrated. Rest is part of God's design, and so there should be a level of design about your rest. What am I going to do today that is going to Make me take a breath. That's going to make me refreshed. That's not just going to be resting my physical body, but actually, what am I going to do today that is going to, that is going to put me in a position where I'm going to take a breath and I'm going to consider my life in the light of what I know about God and his love for me? What am I going to do today? And that doesn't have to be something where you think, well, I'll go to Westminster Abbey and I'll spend the day in prayer. It can be, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go out for a walk with my boyfriend or my girlfriend or my husband or my wife. We're going to go for a walk. And we'll just enjoy a bit of what God's made. Now, we might not be saying to each other, look at the lovely tree. Do you realize, darling, that God made that? Yes, he did. Isn't that wonderful? <laughs> but actually, in reality, that's sort of what you're going to do. Oh, I'm going to do that. We'll go out for a walk. I'm going to go and visit some friends on my day of rest. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to do that. And so your day isn't just frittered away, but actually it is an opportunity for you like that word it says that God did when he was refreshed on his day of rest, to be refreshed, to take a breath, to consider your life in the light of eternity. Isn't it wonderful that God invented it, invented rest? It was a gift. I think if we don't take it seriously, then we are breaking creation's order in some way. And so although it is not law that you should have a Sabbath rest, it's probably a really, really good idea. It's a good time for us to get together and to consider him again and our lives in the light of his presence and his glory. And it's good for your physical body. But what it really points towards is the one who hung so that you could cease, so that you can really enjoy proper Sabbath rest, ceasing from your labours to win God's approval, and one day, ceasing from your labours when this life ends, and resting with him. Let's pray. Father, we uh, thank you for your marvellous idea of rest. And we thank you even more for what it pointed towards. 
Lord Jesus, we thank you that you were the one who came and offers us ultimate rest, who tells us to come to you if we're weary, and we can find rest for our souls because the burden of having to win God's approval can cease because that's been done for us. And now we can come and take your burden, which is light, and your yoke, which is easy. And uh, Father, I pray this morning for any who feel like they're weary, that they're carrying a bit of a burden. And when they think about their gauge, their gauges, their emotional gauge, or their spiritual gauge, or their physical gauge, they just feel like the gauges are, are pretty low, and the tank feels a bit empty. And I pray, oh God, for your refreshing. I pray that they will be able to take a breath. I pray that your Holy Spirit will come and flood them and give them strength and give them courage and encourage them. Oh Lord, we do love you. We love your presence. And as we face another week, we thank you so much that actually we don't have to wait till next Sunday for a bit more rest. That actually we can find it every day by coming to the one who says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. For I am meek and lowly of heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. We thank you that you are that kind of saviour. And we pray that we might find out all in all in you in the coming days. In Jesus' name, amen.